All right, well, good morning once again. I know I already talked to you, but I didn't introduce myself. Uh, for those of you that I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is John, and I'm the pastor here at Carolina Family Church. And as I said, we are in a series that's talking about our mission as a church. The first week of the series, we laid the groundwork for our mission and explained why each of these four things are a part of our mission. So if you are new with us, or maybe you weren't here the first week of the year, I want to encourage you to go back to our website or to iTunes and either listen to or watch that message, because it's very important for the foundation of our church. And then the last couple weeks, we've talked about the first two pieces of our mission, which is to know God and to find hope. And today we're going to talk about the third one, which is to live free. And this is the one that I feel like, I've talked about this in the first week, but this is the one that I feel like our community, Christianity as it stands in the United States of America, needs to hear the most. And it's the one that I'm most passionate about. I have conversations with people. Anytime I sit down with another pastor, I just figure out a way to steer the conversation to this topic because I'm so passionate about it. I've had hours-long conversations over the last couple weeks with different people about this. And so uh, the hardest thing about this message was actually figuring out what not to say and what we didn't have time to get into. And so I'm going to do my best to hit our time frame today and have you out by lunch. But no promises, okay? So uh, we do have an end to our lease here when we got to tear down. So there is a hard stop for us. But um, we're going to talk about living free. Now, in order to talk about freedom, though, you also have to talk about the flip side of that, which is rules. Rules. Now, when I say rules, some of you are like, yes. I love a good rule. Some of you are rule followers, and you think that's fantastic. For some of you, I say rules, and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not a rule follower. I'm, some of you are rule breakers. You do not like rules. And here's the thing. First of all, I'll tell you that I'm a rule follower. Okay? I love rules. And the truth is that we all love rules. By the way, whether you consider yourself a rule follower or a rule breaker, we all love rules. It's just the, the difference is whether we, can, whether we want other people to dictate the rules to us. Okay? So rule followers like me have no problem with someone else setting the rules for us because I figure they probably put thought into that. It's probably for my own safety. It's for traffic flow or whatever. And so I'm good with them saying, you can't go here. You can't go there. You can do, you can do this. You can't do that. I'm good with that. Some of you are rule breakers, though, and you're not good with that. <laughs> you're maybe a little more skeptical about how that rule came into being. And, and maybe you want to walk through life and say, well, if the door says, like, okay, Walmart. I'll give Walmart an example. Have you ever noticed it? How many of you have been to Walmart before? Anybody ever been to Walmart before? Okay. You may not have noticed this, but when you walk in to Walmart and you look above the doors, there are these big letters. They pay money to put them up there. Um, one of them says enter, and the other one says exit. So now I look at that, and I figure there's probably some reason that above the one door it says enter, and above the other door it says exit. So as a rule follower, when I go to Walmart, which door do I go in? The enter. And when I'm leaving, which door do I go out? The exit. And then I can't figure out why I'm running into people when I'm going through the door. And the reason is because I'm meeting rule breakers who don't care about the vinyl letters stuck on the window above the door. And so some of you are rule breakers. And here's the thing. You still love rules. You just don't want someone else to tell you what they are. You want to make your own. And so rules, rules are essential for us. I am a rule follower. Let me give you another Walmart story, because um, these are fun. Uh, a lot of good stuff happens at Walmart. Uh, this, is, this is a total aside, but Jess's water broke at Walmart, so that was fun. 
Um, anyway, but uh, so Jess and I have actually figured out the way that you don't even have to go into Walmart anymore. Have you figured this out? Grocery pickup. Anybody else do grocery pickup? Okay, so here's the way, for those of you who don't know, here's the way it works. It's totally free, by the way. I go do grocery pickup. People are looking at me like, oh, that rich guy getting his groceries delivered to him. Like, you could do this too. <laughs> it's totally free. But uh, you, uh, you just get the app, the Walmart grocery app. You put all your groceries into the app. You pay for them in the app. You pick a time slot, and then you just show up. And they have these reserved parking spots where you pull into the reserved parking spot, and you check in on the app so they know when you get there because your phone pulls into the spot, and they know it. And then they bring the groceries out to your car, load them into your car, and you drive away. You grocery shop in like five minutes. It's incredible. And you never actually have to go into Walmart, which is the best part for me. <laughs> I don't have to manage the cart and run stuff over and look for it, look all over the aisles and for whatever and this stuff, they know right where it is. It's fantastic. But here's the thing. That's another place where you run into rule followers and rule breakers. Because right near the front of Walmart, they have six reserved parking spots. They're giant orange signs that have numbers on them that say reserved for Walmart pickup. But I'll tell you, one day I went to go do pickup, and all the spots were taken. And nobody was waiting for groceries. <laughs> they were all in the store, so I couldn't even park in the reserved spot. And I thought, the, the, the gumption of people <laughs> to park in the reserved spot, and I would never do that. In fact, the other day, uh, I was set for grocery pickup from like 8 to 9 on Friday morning, and uh, I had a few things that I needed that you couldn't get on the app socks, things like that. So I decided beforehand I was going to go into Walmart. So I went, I, I braved it and I went into Walmart, but you know what I did? I parked in a regular spot and I went into Walmart and I bought my socks and my other stuff. And then I went back to my car. I got in my car. I drove into the reserve spot and then checked into Walmart grocery pickup. So I'm that much of a rule follower. I know some of you are too. Some of you are with me on that. Some of you are like, ah, who cares? I'm just going to park as close to the store as I can possibly be. But that's the thing. We all do love rules. We just want to determine whether someone else dictates them to us or whether we make our own. We want rules because rules tell us what's right and what's wrong. Rules tell us uh, who's in and who's out. Rules tell us, uh, rules tell us uh, what is, uh, it's the standard, okay? Rules are the standard by which we judge. The standard by which we judge other people, the standard by which we judge ourselves, and then ultimately there's a standard by which we punish other people or the standard by which we punish ourselves. And I'll tell you that when it comes to church, churches love rules. They love rules. In fact, if you ask most people what going to church is all about, they're going to say it's about rules. What you can do and what you can't do. Like if you become a part of this religion, then you have a certain things that you're allowed to do and certain things that you're prohibited from doing. And if you do the good things, God's happy with you. And if you do the bad things, God's mad at you. And for most people, the way religion works is if I can put enough good things on this side of the scale to outweigh the bad things over on this side of the scale, then when, it, when I do die and I meet God and I stand in judgment, he's going to say, come on in because the scale tipped over this way. That's the way that most people think that religion works, the way that faith works. So we come up with all these rules, all these rules. I grew up in a very conservative, it was actually the denomination was a conservative Baptist church. That was the denomination. The conservative was in the name. So um, that's where I grew up. Fantastic church. They're wonderful. In fact, there's a lot of things that I learned from that church that have helped build the foundation of this church today. Um, but one of the things is, man, there were rules. There were, there were written rules, and then there were unwritten rules. 
right? Like one of the unwritten rules in our church was no dancing. Anybody, anybody been there? You been there? Yeah, no dancing whatsoever. I, I, I never, I, nobody ever said it, but it was there. In fact, my dad was a pastor of that church for 36 years, and um, the first time he ever danced in public was at my sister's wedding. And it was a big thing, you know, it was like, it was like his dancing coming out party, you know, he was, he was going to get out there, and he was going to show everybody what he had, and so that was a rule, and I could never figure that one out, because I like, I read about David dancing in the Old Testament, and that didn't make any sense, you know, it seemed like a good thing that he was doing, and so we had, we had all of these rules, you know what, you know what Baptists always say, you know, you, but you know, like sex outside of marriage, you shouldn't do that, because it might lead to dancing, <laughs> right, so we have all of these rules, Man, we love our rules. But what if I told you, what if I told you that being a Christian is not about rules at all? It's actually, it's actually the opposite. It's the backwards way to look at what we believe and what our faith is. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go to the key scripture out of which all of our mission statement comes. It's in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. So if you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians very beginning of Ephesians. And if you're new to the Bible and you have a print Bible, it's going to be towards the back, roughly about there. Um, if you have the app, it's toward the bottom of the list, I guess, if <laughs> you're scrolling through the books. And as usual, we're going to put it on the screen. Um, but I really want to encourage you today specifically, we are going to read a lot of scripture today. In fact, I'm going to try to talk as little as I possibly can for me and just read the scripture and let the scripture speak for itself. I'll just teach our way through most of it. And um, it's going to be a lot easier if you have a print Bible or you bring up the app on your phone to track along. Because on the screen, we can only pop up like one or two verses at a time. So you just get a better, broader picture if you're looking on your phone or at a print Bible um, as we're reading today. And um, so Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to read the first nine verses. This is where this idea of living free comes from in our mission statement. All right, 2, 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Uh, what, what Paul is saying is that we've all sinned. He says it another way in Romans. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we have all sinned, and so that breaks our relationship with God. And he's talking about them as if this is past tense, because he's talking uh, to Christians, to believers. He said, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Catch that terminology. We lived in the passions of our flesh. And Paul makes sure that he includes himself in this group, saying, I'm no different, guys. We've all dealt with this. We lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So he's saying we used to be we used to live this way. We used to make these kinds of decisions. This is pre-Christ. This is pre-faith. He says this in verse 4. But God. You may have heard it before, but I also believe, and maybe a little cliche, but I'm down with it. The, uh, this is maybe, maybe some of the most powerful words in the entire Bible when you come across them. Or we were dead in our trespasses, but God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. So we were dead in our trespasses, but he's made us alive. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's our hope, right? 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul says, listen, you were dead, but now you're alive. And it wasn't because of anything you did. It wasn't because you worked hard. It wasn't because you did a bunch of good things. It wasn't because you served at the local nonprofit. It wasn't because you chose a profession that was going to help the next generation. It's not because you were particularly kind or you didn't cuss or you didn't drink or you didn't dance or you didn't whatever. It's not because of the clothes you wore or the people that you hang out with or don't hang out with. It's not because of the educational course that you took. It's not because of your level of Bible knowledge. It's not because of how much you pray. It's not because of any of that stuff. You weren't saved because of your works you were saved purely based on the grace of God purely because God said I love you so much you couldn't possibly do enough to get to me so I'm going to send my son and Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin all of it now and forever he paid for our sin and he was raised again on the third day and you have been saved and if you haven't been saved you have the opportunity today to be saved by grace by faith Simply putting your faith in Jesus, saying, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again to pay for my sin, and I accept it. I believe. I have faith. And when you make that decision, then you're saved. Not because of anything you've done. Yet for some reason, for some reason, we feel like we accept Jesus Christ by faith, and then all of a sudden we have to keep it by doing all of this work. That, that, that somehow the way, the way God deals with us before salvation is different than the way he deals with us after salvation. And it's not. When, we, when we're saved by faith, we're saved for all the sins that we've done before. And we're saved for all the sins we have done after. This is not, this is, there's no time limit on, on your salvation. When Jesus, Christ, when Jesus Christ died for your sins on the cross, all of them were future sins, right? So why do we think that once we accept Jesus Christ by faith that all of a sudden our past sins are paid for, but our future sins aren't yet? And we have to go through this process of following all of these rules in order so that God doesn't get mad at us again, like we, like we would lose it? Well, it doesn't make any sense at all. You have been saved by faith. You've been saved by the grace of God, not by anything that you've done. Yet then what we want to do is we want to create all these rules for everybody and say, oh, yeah, great, you accepted God by faith. Now you've got to keep all these rules. Because if you, if you don't keep the rules, God's going to be mad at you. If, if you don't keep these rules, it's going to break up your relationship with God again. No, 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 no. And what we see consistently throughout the New Testament, it's like the drum that Paul beats throughout the entire New Testament is trying to beat it into the heads of the people who've accepted Jesus. Stop going back to all the old rules. Stop it. And now you, you, may, not, you may not believe me. So what I'm going to do is we're just going to read a ton of scripture. Okay? <laughs> so, so at the very least, if you disagree, you're not disagreeing with me. You would be disagreeing with Paul. So let's go to the book of Colossians. Okay? Uh, the book of Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Okay, so it's two, it's two books after the book of Ephesians. 
All right, again, this is, just, this is a letter. We call these the epistles. This is a letter that Paul is writing to the church that he helped start in the uh, city of Colossae. And we're going to read, um, we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 13. All right, Colossians 2, 13. We're going to finish out that chapter and, and head into chapter thir- 3, too. So starting in verse 13. And you, this is going to sound pretty familiar. You ready? And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, don't get hung up on the circumcision thing. It's a whole like Israel, like Jew Gentile thing we don't have time to get into. Okay, so he's just saying, he's speaking particularly to people that were not Jewish. Um, yeah, you were cut off from God, okay? Uh, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together in him. Does that sound familiar? It's the exact same wording he just used in Ephesians, isn't it? He made us alive together in him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Now, when he cancels the debt against us, is that just our past sins or is it the debt? It's the debt. It's past, present, and future. It's all of it. The debt that we owe to God has been paid by Jesus Christ. Then he set, or this he set aside, nailing it to the cross he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. He's talking about the spiritual rulers and authorities, Satan. All right. Uh, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, here's where he gets, he takes, so that's the same thing he just said in Ephesians. Now what he does is he applies that idea to them and explains what it means for how you actually live. Verse 16. Therefore, and again, it's a cliche, but anytime you see the word therefore, you need to look to see what it's therefore. So he, and that's what the word does. So he has explained to them, you've been forgiven, you've been made alive together in Christ. Here's what that means for you. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And he's talking to them specifically about the law that the Jews had to follow. They had people that were saying, great, you've become a Christian. Now you need to keep all the Jewish laws. And he's saying, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Don't let them apply that standard to you. Don't let them pass judgment on you based on that standard. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So he's saying those things were only like, were like, were an outline of what's coming. They're just, they were just to point you forward to what was coming. Christ is the real deal. Christ is where we need to put our focus. He says that let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism, uh, that's uh, like self, self-deprivation, you know, like punishing yourself, um, humility. And worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Say, so stop letting them put these on you. And stop letting them make up human rules and try to attribute them to God. And make it, God says you can't do this. No, he doesn't. He said, don't, don't do that. Don't fall into it. Verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perished as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. He's saying, 
Stop letting people apply these rules to you. You don't need them, and they're not helpful to you. If I could paraphrase what he's saying there. Because here's the thing about Christianity, and this is hard for, this is hard for a lot of people to accept, and it's very hard to do in practice. For, for the New Testament Christian, there are no rules. Okay? There are no rules. I know, that's a scary thing to say. <laughs> that's a scary thing to say. And I know a lot of the concerns and questions, we're going to address those. Okay? But there are no rules. Rules are the standard by which we um, judge people, right? And rules are the standard by which we punish people. Well, listen, if you are in Christ, there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ. If you are in Christ, if you put your faith in Christ, there is no judgment for you. That's done. That is settled. Okay? That ship has sailed. And if you are in Christ, there is no punishment for you either. So there are no rules necessary. Because Jesus Christ has already met the standard for us. And Jesus Christ has already taken the punishment for us. And what that means is that we get to live not under the oppression of a set of rules, but in the freedom of the Spirit of God. And I know, I know, it's a scary thing. I, I, I honestly, I'm not sure I've ever been in a church where it has been said like that to me. When I finally learned this, it was like a whole new world opening up to me. Because what rules, rules have to do with punishment. Rules have to do with, with looking over your shoulder and wonder, wondering when someone's watching. The thing about the Christian is that we know that God has forgiven us by our faith in Jesus Christ. And so we don't have to look over our shoulder anymore and wonder if God is judging us because he's not. We don't have to look over our shoulder and whether, wonder whether God's going to punish us or not. I've heard Christians say, I, I just feel like God's punishing me right now. No, he is not. Okay. Now, let's be very clear. There are consequences for our actions. <laughs> there, are, there are physical consequences for our actions. There are relational consequences for our actions. There are, are, there are financial consequences to our actions. It's, all of that is going on, and God does use those in some cases to help to discipline us and train us, but he is not mad at us, and he is not judging us, and he is not punishing us. Uh, now, I know that we have to have rules um, in order to function as a society. Like, I'm not saying that. I watch Live PD, okay? It's one of my favorite shows. We need some rules. And so I've watched that show. For those of you that don't know what that is, that's, that's Cops Live um, on Friday and Saturday nights on A&E. Um, we actually play bingo. So we're marking down, uh, like, like uh, swallows drugs. That's one of the things. And uh, so I've only had one beer. That's one of the ones on there. And so you mark them as they're happening. And as it's happening, I'm like, I don't feel like I should be cheering for a car chase right now. You know, <laughs> it doesn't seem right. I don't think I should be hoping that this person has a warrant. But um, uh, so we need rules, right? We put rules in place. We have rules here at, at our church that, that are that are wise, that are practical. Like, for example, if you're going to serve in our children's ministry, you have to be background checked, right? It's wise. We need that rule. I think we would all agree that's a good rule to have. Um, it's for protection. But what we should not do is we should not say that that rule has anything to do with how God relates to us. Those are different things. It's one thing for us to have societal rules and expectations, but let's not say that God commands us to background check our children's workers. That's not the case. There, there's a difference. 
the problem with rules, and this is, what, this is what Paul gets to right at the end of this passage. The problem with rules is, let me read the wording. He said, um, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Rules, you, you, we can use rules to police actions, but we cannot use rules to determine character. And that's the difference. That's the fundamental difference between living under a system of rules and living in a system of freedom. God's desire for our life is not that we just learn how to keep all these rules. Because that doesn't necessarily produce in us the character that he's trying to develop. He wants us to take on his image. I think about my kids. And um, uh, we have two options when it comes to our kids. Let's say um, Jairus hits J.D. Jairus is our middle child. J.D.'s our oldest. Let's say Jairus hits J.D. Very common occurrence in our house, um, which is why he's nicknamed the Jairnado. That's his nickname. Uh, he turns dance parties into mosh pits pretty fast. That's the way that he rolls. Um, but when we, when, we, when we deal with J.D. over his action, or Jairus over his actions, we can either tell him to stop hitting his brother which would be an action-related rule, or say the next time you hit your brother, you're going to go to timeout or whatever. Or we can deal with his character. And we can say, Jairus, when you hit your brother like that, it's unkind. And your responsibility is to protect your brother, not to harm him. Now, that's a very different way of dealing with the situation than just telling him not to hit. Because I can tell him not to hit, but you know what kids do when you tell them not to hit? They kick. <laughs> you know, when you say when you say don't hit your brother in the face, what do they do? They hit him in the gut. You know, they they find a way around the rule because all the rule is doing is policing their action. It's not developing their character. And so, what God has designed for us in the New Testament church is different than following a bunch of rules. It's to live in freedom and learn how to develop the character of God. Is something better. Let's keep reading. Um, into, ver- into chapter 3, we're going to go uh, through verse 17, okay? Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of, that are on earth. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death. I know that the fear is, before I jump into this, the fear is that if we say we're free and there's no rules and God is not punishing us and God is not judging us for our actions, the fear is people are going to take advantage of that, right? That, that people are going to say, well, if I have that freedom, I'll just go do whatever I want and he's going to forgive me for it, right? Well, yeah, but yeah, I know that's, that's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? Uh, but What he's saying is, if you have died with Christ, if you recognize what God has done for you, if you realize that you do now have freedom and that God is not judging you, what we need to do is we need to change our whole focus on life, our whole purpose in life, our whole MO, and to say, I no longer want to do those things that he saved me from. I don't don't want to live like that anymore. I don't want to live like I lived when I died. I want to live like I'm alive. I want to live the way that God created me to live. And so he's saying, set your mind on things above. said in verse 5 now, put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you. Put to death what's earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Put them away. 
anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouths. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put on the old self with its put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That, that language right there is so key to me. And you might say, well, it sounds a little bit like Paul's giving a list of rules, <laughs> sexual immorality and purity. Say, no, 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 no. Look at those things. Those aren't specific things in general, are they? They're character things. He's saying, put to death your old nature. Put to death your old character. Put to death your old self. And instead, put on a new character and a new self that's empowered by the Spirit of God. And this is, this is the wording right here this, that grabs me, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. That my goal, now this is what the word Christian means, right? To become Christ-like. That what I want to do is I want to put to death the old self, the old fleshly desires, and I want to replace them with this desire and this passion to be as much like my creator as I possibly can, to put on the character of God in my life. And so I don't go through my life, and God is not judging me, but if I want to judge myself and how I'm progressing in spiritual maturity, I don't judge it based on this list of rules that somebody gave me. I judge it based on am I becoming more like the image of my creator? Am I becoming more generous? Am I becoming more loving? Am I becoming more kind? Am I becoming more gracious? Am I becoming more merciful? Am I becoming more like my creator? That's the way we, we functionally pass from death into life, in our life, and really live in freedom. He said, uh, here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. And this is what he tells us to do. How far are we going? 17? Okay. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Hear the character here. This is the character of God, right? That we apply to ourselves. We're learning. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. He's, he's, he's describing God as he explains who we're supposed to become, isn't he? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do we know? How do we know the character of God? How do we get to know him and live in that hope so that we can actually be free and use our freedom well? We got, we got to know the word of Christ. We have to know it. Because here we see the character of God. We see the character of Christ. And we learn to follow. All right. Dwelling you rich, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness uh, in your hearts to God. So we do this together. We help each other do this. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. And then it's funny, actually, the, uh, <laughs> then if you have a Bible, if you have a print Bible, you might have these little section headings. The next section says rules for Christian households, <laughs> which I think is kind of funny because they're not actually rules. <laughs> I know that's the word that, that may have been used. They're not actually rules. He talks about the character that husbands and wives and fathers and children and all that should have. Okay, so this is what he's getting at. And it's like my kids, I already gave you that example. I can teach them character, I can teach them obedience. And sometimes obedience is necessary with, with my kids, you know. Sometimes you just got to get them to stop. But um, the better thing is to teach 
character. Um, so I told you I've been talking to some folks recently about this, and, and one of the pastors I was talking to was he's trying to really get his head wrapped around this concept. He's never, he's never heard it taught before. Um, he's always heard, you know, salvation and then rules. So um, he said, give me an example of where that would be the case. And so for me, the, the most obvious example to me that I've seen in the church, uh, mainstream church, and um, I've taught too in the past, and um, is uh, the issue of tithing, okay? So um, I, previously, in, in lives previously, I taught that um, tithing, that's giving 10% of your income to the church, um, was a New Testament teaching uh, based on particularly Matthew 23, 23, um, and the fact that the tithe is actually pre-law. So uh, Abraham gave a tenth of everything he had to the priest Melchizedek, and because of that, it's not a law thing, and so it still applies to Christians today. Um, here's the problem with that. That's a rule that we create, right? That's a rule that, we, that, that many churches follow. You tithe. In fact, some places they even call it paying the tithe because it, it's required, you know? Here's the problem with that. It is nowhere to be found in the New Testament. Nowhere to be found. The, the word tithe is used once by Jesus in Matthew 23, 23. But if you look at what actually happened there, Jesus is, is getting the Pharisees, he's getting on the Pharisees, the religious leaders, for their hypocrisy. And so he says, yeah, I know you tithe a tenth of your spices, but you neglect the way to your manners of the law, love and grace and mercy. You should do the former without neglecting the latter. And so people say, whoops, see, right there, Jesus said we're supposed to tithe. That's a command. <laughs> no, it's not. Jesus is talking to Pharisees who are under the law. They're obligated by the law, of course, to tithe. But his point isn't that they're supposed to tithe. His point is that they're missing the point. <laughs> his point is that they're tithing, but they're not generous. So they've totally missed it. And what we see Jesus do all the time in his ministry is to identify the Old Testament law and then call people to a much higher standard than that. And he would call us away from tithing and he would call us to generosity. And then they use all these other verses in the Bible where Paul talks about setting aside a portion of your, in keeping with your income, and being a generous giver and all that. And by the way, that has nothing to do with tithing, not a single thing. It has to do with a um, special offering that Paul was taking up for the church in Jerusalem. And he was just telling them, hey, you guys made these pledges for this offering that we're doing. And be wise for you to put a little bit aside each week so that when I come to collect on that offering that you have it and you can give it so that you can give it with a joyful heart instead of having to scramble around and scrounge it up and either pull it together in haste or not pull it together at all. That's all he's saying. So it's not New Testament. It's not a testament at all. And, and you, can, you can go back to Abraham and Melchizedek if you want, but the fact is, all that does is describe what Abraham did. It does not command us to do the same. So I just don't, I cannot for the life of me see new tithing in the New Testament, which when I finally was able to admit that, because I taught it, I taught tithing, um, I'd, used, I'd used Malachi 3.10 Test me in this, says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I do not pour out so much blessing that you do not have room enough for it. And I use that, even though that's to a specific people at a specific time. I use that. And when I finally was, got clear on this um, was actually when I was in between churches. And I actually studied it, and it didn't have another agenda, honestly. Because the truth is, I don't think that you can make a defensible argument for tithing being a command to New Testament Christians. It's not a rule. It's just not, guys. It's not. So why, do, why does it get taught? It gets taught because rules are easier. 
and they're cleaner. It gets taught, honestly, just, just dead honest, it gets taught because pastors are scared. They're scared that if they get up and they stand in front of the church and they say, hey, tithing is not a command. You have the freedom to follow the Spirit and be generous in the way that the Spirit leads you to be generous. They're afraid that if they get up and they say that to their church, nobody's going to do it. That's, that's where it is. And the truth is, in all the conversations that I've ever had with pastors that defend it on Scripture, if you dig down and dig down and dig down, eventually they'll just, get, they'll just say that. <laughs> they'll say, but if you don't have a standard, people won't do it. It is the rules that we create are based in our fear of freedom. They're based in our fear that we can't trust. We can't trust people to listen to the Spirit, to hear from Him, and then to do what He tells them to do. They're based in, in a lack of trust that people can read Scripture and understand what God is saying to them through the Scripture. And that fear causes us to then create rules because rules seem safer than freedom. It's safer in the pen than it is out on the open plain. And that's a scary thing. But the truth is that if, if the church in America is going to become what it's supposed to be, and if our church is going to become what it's supposed to be, if we're going to have the impact on our community that God intends for us to have through our faith in Jesus Christ, we got to stop putting all these rules in place, and we need to start becoming ninjas at following the Spirit. That's what we have to do. We have to actually start praying and listening to what he's saying to us and reading the word and asking him to speak to us through the word so that we get conviction of what we're supposed to do and then be faithful to do it. And until we are doing that and teaching that over and over and over again, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss it. We're just going to become an institution that exists for itself and exists to maintain itself and create rule after rule after rule after rule. When that's not what God created us for. He created us for freedom, not fear. Um, I want to read to you from uh, Galatians. I know the fear, and I just want to say this before I read, actually. Um, the fear is if we tell people they have freedom, they're, they're going to they're gonna fail, they're going to fall, they're going to make mistakes, right? Um, and so sometimes we put rules in place because we feel like we're trying to protect someone else. But... Um, First of all, we need to know that truth is not determined by what people do with it. So even if people abuse this fact, doesn't make it not a fact. You know what I mean? Like our faith is not based on human wisdom. It's based on the truth of God. The truth of God is we're saved by faith and we're, we're uh, uh, saved by grace. And so, so yeah, some people are going to abuse that. Some people are going to make mistakes. Freedom is messy. It just is. But that doesn't make it not true. Uh, let's go to the book of Galatians. That's right before Ephesians. Okay, so back up a few chapters. We'll get there. Yo, you got the Corinthians and then Galatians. Seriously, though, but you know, like I'm, I'm a pastor, but I still sing the song in my head. That's how I find stuff in the scripture. So no shame there if you, if you learn the songs growing up. I'm um, going to Galatians chapter 5. Um, if you've, oh, my marker was in it. That's funny. <laughs> doesn't do you a whole lot of good if you don't remember where it is, does it? Um, first of all, let me read the first verse of uh, Galatians chapter 5. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It's pretty clear to me. Okay? And then let's go to um, 
uh, 13 through 25. This is, this is the last little bit we're going to read. 13 through 25. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Right? This is what we've been talking about. Don't use the opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Not consumed by God. I just Let me point that out. You bite and consume each other. Watch out that you might be consumed by God. No, 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 no. That you might consume each other. There, there are consequences for our actions, right? But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Sounds very similar to the list he gave over in Colossians, doesn't it? I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They're not going to get the reward, okay? It's not talking about salvation there. It's talking about reward. But, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. See, spiritual maturity is not the process of learning to keep a set of rules. Spiritual maturity is the process of learning to kill what is earthly in us and embrace the Spirit in our lives. And that's it. And I'll be honest, I was thinking about the message this weekend. I'm always honest, by the way. If I say I'm being honest, it's, I'm always honest. But um, I was thinking about it this week, and I thought, man, all my messages are basically the same. Like, you could come hear one of my messages and then come back next week, and it'd be the same thing, but with a different application and a little bit different scripture that we're using, but they're all the same. Jesus Christ came to earth to forgive your sins and set you free, and God wants you to learn to walk in the Spirit and embrace his image, your creator. That's it. That's like every message. Whether we talk about marriage or parenting or finances or whether we read out of Romans or we read out of Acts or we read out wherever, it's all the same. It's the same message. Jesus Christ came to set you free. And life that's worth living is lived in the spirit, not in the flesh. Living in the design that God created, not in the one that we create. And that's it. And that's, I mean, that's freedom. It's freedom to be able to live and know that God is not, you don't have to look over your shoulder, that God is not judging you. And so I just created, I created a little phrase for you if, you if you want to take this home and post it somewhere, maybe to help to remember this on a daily basis. God didn't save us to live in fear. He saved us to live in freedom. God didn't save us to live in fear. He saved us to live in freedom. And I know that's messy, and I know that we make mistakes. But even when we make mistakes, we don't need to knee-jerk and create a rule to stop it from happening again. Life is messy. We fall. But grace is there to pick us up, and we surround each other to help us make a better decision the next time. And so I just want to encourage you to live in freedom, to learn what it means to listen to the Spirit and to keep in step with the Spirit. Because when we do that, 
we get to put to death what has held us down, and we're set free to the life that God's created for us. Okay, let's pray together. God, we come to you, and first of all, thank you for who you are and that we can know you. That you are loving and you are kind and you are gracious, you are merciful. That you sent your son Jesus to earth to die for us and pay for our sins, all of them. That empowered Jesus, you rose again on the third day. That gives us the confidence to know that you can forgive us. Thank you, God, that it is simply our faith, our belief in you that saves us. Not anything that we've done and not anything that we will do because it takes all of the pressure off of us. The pressure to do what you already know we can't do. I pray, God, that there would be someone with us today who would make the decision for the first time to put their faith in Jesus Christ. To say, I believe. I know I've sinned. I know I've failed you, God. But today, I believe. I put my faith in Jesus. And I want to learn how to live in freedom. God, I pray that as we recognize the fact that we are forgiven of our sin by grace, that it is for freedom that Jesus Christ, you set us free that you would place within each one of us a burning, passionate desire not to use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but to use it as an opportunity to become more and more like you with your guidance. God, I pray that we would become incredibly proficient at hearing from you about who we are and what we're supposed to do that you would make it really clear to us the steps that we're supposed to take and that we would be faithful. You would give us the boldness and the determination and the discipline to act and follow when you speak to us. That is the way that we're going to become more and more and more like you, more and more and more like you originally created us to be as we follow you, Jesus Christ. I pray you would help us to see that really clearly and to if we walked in here with a weight, if we walked in here with a fear that we thought you were mad at us or we thought you were punishing us or we thought that you were trying to get back at us or we didn't know whether we were good with you or not, that right now you'd set us free from that, that you would just lift that off of our shoulders, lift it off of our soul so that we know we are yours and we are free. Thank you that great truth and the confidence that it gives us to embrace the life you've created us for. It's in your name we pray. Amen.